0: Fun to do something different to have the whole church together, and since we're doing everything different, I decided that I would preach a little differently as well. Uh, before the service, Dan looked over me and said, "You're going to preach sitting down?" And I said, "Yeah, why not?" And he said, "I don't think I could do it." I, and Dan, I know I don't think you could. There's just too much energy there. But it's fun to do things different from time to time. It's nice to have more of a cross-generational mix here this morning. It's good to start our year together. If you received the email last night about service today, you would note that it said the sermon is going to be on Hebrews 12, and that is because our brother Shano was supposed to be bringing the word today, and he is uh, ill, quite ill, uh, in Venencia as well. So if you would be in prayer for them, uh, and also pray for the pinch hitter today, who got noticed yesterday morning that uh, he would be preaching. Low expectations. So... It's a new year. Surprise. It sneaks up on us every year. And at the beginning of the year, we're all kind of thinking about doing things differently. We're thinking about resolutions and intentions, our goals for the year. We make resolutions to get out of debt or to be more generous. Uh, we make resolutions about our habits, uh, exercise more, to volunteer our time more. We want to read the Bible more. We want to invest in more relationships. I don't know what kinds of things are on your heart and mind, but it's often at the beginning of the year we think about these things. And I think this can be good. It's good to have a reset. It's good to live life with intentionality, to be thinking about those things that can be part of our holistic, healthy living. And so I encourage you in those. But I want us to not miss something bigger, an opportunity for a bigger Reset on our lives to think differently about something that encompasses really all of those activities and all of those intentions and desires and goals that we don't let the little goals keep us from setting bigger goals and having a bigger dream and a v- bigger vision for our life. And the beginning of the year is a good time for us to be thinking about those kinds of things. And so the question that I want us to ask this morning, it really goes along really nicely with the music, which was pre-selected before. Uh, we knew that I would be preaching on this text. The Holy Spirit is at work in spite of our changes and, and thinking that our plans are not going as they're supposed to. The question I want us to ask this morning is, what kingdom am I serving? What kingdom am I serving with my life? Because the default of the human sinful heart is to serve the kingdom of self. It's true. You know it. I know it. We know that the default of our hearts is to serve the kingdom of self. Now I'm not talking here about neglecting appropriate self-understanding, self-awareness, self-care. Those things are all good. In fact, we need we need to understand ourselves. An odd source for this type of quote, John Calvin actually argued that there is no knowledge of self without knowledge of God and there is no knowledge of God without knowledge of self. Those things work together. We need to understand who we are but we need to understand who we are in light of who God is and how those things work together. Because what I find is that the the mission to serve self, this is what accounts for all of the conflict in my relationships. And I think it's true for you. It results in the emptiness or the burnout that we experience as a result of the pressures of life. And then it results in the ways that we try to self-medicate to avoid or to numb ourselves from the pain that we feel from that emptiness or from that burnout in our lives. And it's a vicious cycle. This self-serving kingdom, it's a trap. It's a downward spiral away from God and away from others and away from being the true selves that we were created to be by God. And yet, it's our default mode. That sounds horrible to say... My primary mission in life is to serve myself. No one would ever say that out loud. But we know it's true. So many things about our lives paint a picture that what we really think is that we are on the throne of our lives, we are at the center, and everything in our life revolves around serving ourselves. But as God's people, we understand that there is something better. There's a new way to be human, that God reorients us and reshapes our lives by his grace. Away from this failed project and mission of serving the kingdom of self. It's a vicious cycle. It's, it's never ending. It's never satisfying. And helping us to become people who live for his kingdom. And live for his purpose. Live for something outside of ourselves. Live from a life that's oriented and turned inward to being turned outward and upward toward God and towards our neighbors. That's what we were created for. And the beginning of the year is a good time to humbly get on our knees and ask God to teach us and show us the meaning of serving his kingdom and not serving our kingdom. To teach us what it means to live in the way of Jesus who taught us that whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So, Happy New Year, friends. My wish for you is that this year you would die a slow death to yourself, to this old way of trying to serve the kingdom of self, and that you would find this new pattern, this new way to be an easier burden, to be actually a more joy-filled way, to not believe the lie of this kingdom-serving, self-serving lie, to not believe that lie, but to believe that living our lives for God is what we were made for. So our our resolution worth making this year is that we want to become a worship-centered people, to place God at the center of our lives, not actually for us to place, but to recognize that he is already king, he is already Lord, but that we would surrender to that joyfully, and to believe that it's actually the best way to live, to celebrate the fact that God is on the throne, not just of the world, but of our lives, and to live into that reality. And to find the joy and peace that accompanies that. Being worship-centered, it's our first and foundational value that we have as a church. And so this psalm we're going to look at this morning, it provides support for this. It encourages us to worship God because God is truly of our, of our lives. He's truly worthy of our worship. And that surrendering to him at the center of our lives actually makes sense. We don't have to do it begrudgingly. or thinking that God is a killjoy, but we can believe that he is actually rightfully on that throne and that him being at the center is what we were created for. So a quote that I've shared with you probably many times, it's one of my favorite quotes, it comes from A.W. Tozer, a pastor from a previous generation. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God Is the most important thing about us. This is the number one task of the Bible to introduce us to who God is so that we can know Him. We can know who God truly is. And so to that end, I have two book recommendations for you. One is by the the author of that quote. Uh, A.W. Tozer, it's a classic from a previous generation, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a book on the attributes of God. Or, perhaps something maybe a little bit more accessible and with more modern language, the book God Is. It's actually more of written in a devotional style. Uh, it is a great book on studying the attributes of God. So, I know I'm always giving you uh, recommendations for books, but here's another one to add to your queue. Uh, I would really strongly recommend God Is... By Mark Jones. Because the truth is, there are many false conceptions of God that are floating around, that that humans come up with. And in fact, even as followers of Jesus, we can co-opt these bad ideas, or we can even create them in our own mind. There are many false views of God. We can view God as a a genie in a bottle. He's there just to grant our wishes. He's there to serve us. In fact, the reality is, we were created to serve Him. We can think of God as, as a vending machine. If we put in the right things, if we do enough things, if we give enough money, we come to church enough, we put the right things in and we push the right buttons, God will give us what we want or what we think we need. God is not a cosmic vending machine. God is not a superhero just there to swoop in and save the day when things get really bad. He can do that and he is a rescuer and a redeemer, but he is so much more than a superhero. Sometimes we think of God as just an inspiring figure on the shelf, there to just pump us up a little bit when we need it. And just give us a thumbs up and, and, and just encourage us when we need to be lifted up. We can think of God as an angry judge. He's going to rule on our lives. And we're constantly in trouble. We can think of God as just an old wizard. Full of wisdom and, and grace, but sort of aloof and not really that involved in our daily lives. Or even think of God as an absentee father. He's just not there. We can think of God as, as the sort of master designer who created the world, but, but now is just sort of letting us go about our lives and try to figure things out on our own. There, there are many ways we can think wrongly about God. We can't cover them all this morning. But, but what we can do is that we can look to God's word to realign our vision of who God is. And really all of scripture, every page is dripping with this story of telling us about this God. We're just looking at one particular psalm. It's a weighty one. I can't touch every little phrase in it. It's so power-packed. But we want to look at this psalm that helps realign us to who God is. And by the way, you're in trouble this morning because what happens with me is the less I prep, the longer a sermon goes. So uh, because this being a surprise sermon, you might be in trouble. Uh, I, think, I think we'll still make lunch uh, plans, hopefully, but um, we'll see how it goes. So let's dive in. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. So the psalm begins with a simple declaration, praise the Lord. But in the original language, it's actually a command that's directed at the self. David is exhorting his own soul to praise God. now this word uh, conveys the idea of kneeling before royalty, of showing respect, of showing honor, of recognizing authority where it is It is due. Perhaps a helpful paraphrase might be, worship God, I preach to myself. How many of you know you need to preach to yourself sometimes? I hope, I hope that, uh, the preacher that you listen to most often is yourself. I hope that you're preaching to yourself. In fact, the truth is, I think we all do. You're preaching to yourself all the time. Sometimes you're preaching to yourself very unhelpful things. So start preaching good things to yourself and truth from God's word. And so the psalmist begins here, David, he begins by saying, Worship God, I preach to myself. It's intriguing because it assumes the need to be stirred up, which is both convicting but also comforting. It's convicting that we should need to be exhorted or encouraged to worship god because it should be obvious to us that god is worthy of our worship But it's also comforting because it assumes that we might need to preach to ourselves that our natural disposition isn't always to place god at the center of our lives and worship him and i know that that's true for me there's times i have to preach to myself soul it's time to worship god because that's what you were created for soul you need to worship god these verse, opening verses also instruct us how we should worship. David writes, All my inmost being praise his holy name. In Deuteronomy 6, the, the Shema, the sort of foundation of the law of God in the Old Testament, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this word strength, It it, it translates this idea of every fiber of your being. With all that you are, in my innermost being, with all of myself, I worship God. It's a good reminder to us that our worship is holistic. It's all of our lives. Living a worship-centered life is not just a commitment to be regular in the corporate worship of God's people. That's part of it, and that's an important commitment. But this commitment to be a worship-centered person is to worship God with Every aspect of who we are, with our mind, with our intellect, with our bodies, with our knowledge, with our reason, our experience, our relationships, with all of who we are, we are called to worship God. And so the remainder of the psalm continues to give us a very long list of the different attributes of God. It tells us who God is. And I love to talk about this subject because you cannot exhaust it. The Bible uses so many metaphors and so many different ways of trying to tell us who God is because there's so much there. We cannot wrap our minds around who God is. But yet we can continue to grow deeper and deeper in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. So, it begins with the mercy of God. God, who is merciful. It says, He forgives all our sins. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our Iniquities. God is worthy of our worship because He is a merciful God. Amen? He does not treat us as our sins deserve. This is the good news of the gospel. When we're young, we want life to be fair, whatever that means. Right? We get in arguments with siblings because we want things to be fair. But as we grow in life, hopefully we learn that life isn't fair, and that in fact it's actually a good thing that life is not fair. Right, Because if life were fair, we would get what we deserve. And what we deserve is death and hell. Not a real peppy message for the start of the year, but that's the truth. That's what we deserve. But God is merciful. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And that is really good news for us. God is also our redeemer. Verse 4. It says, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with love and compassion. Now, it's likely when David uh, is writing this psalm, he found himself in many near-death experiences in his life. He may be in one of those situations as he writes these words, who redeems your life from the pit, or he may be thinking of one of those. But I think it's also appropriate to think of the pit here metaphorically, representing the many dark places and situations and challenges in our lives. And the reminder of this psalm is that our God is a God who redeems and who restores, who pulls us out of those dark places. Now here's the hard part. Sometimes those dark seasons are long. Right? We, want, we want a quick solution to our pain. That's, that's not always the way it works. But God promises that if you're in a pit, he is going to pull you out from that, and he is going to redeem that situation. Somehow. Maybe in a way that you'll understand it and see it. Maybe in a way that you won't, this side of heaven. But he promises that he will pull us out of the pit. And beyond that, not just to pull us out of those dark places, but to crown us with love and compassion. This word love here, it's one of the most powerful words in the Hebrew language it refers to god 's loyal love, his covenant, faithful love, not just the feel good love but but a deep commitment, the loyal love of God, his everlasting never ending mercy and faithfulness towards those that he has made a covenant with. He promises to pull us out of the pit and to crown us with this love. God will lift you up out of the pit, and he will not give up on you because he is the loyal covenant-keeping God. He is Redeemer. Then we see that God is generous. He's a generous God. We talked about that during our our commitment and generosity campaign. We're a people who want to be generous because we reflect our Father who is a Father who is generous, who lavishes good gifts on us. Verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all His benefits. Remember them. Rehearse them beginning of the year is a good time to think back on the Lord's faithfulness. Over the past year, we have to remind ourselves of these things. Verse 5, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now again, this is not a genie in a bottle. This is not, you know, God just gives you lots of stuff. But we know that God is generous and that he gives us As Tim Keller has wisely said, he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows, right? Sometimes we ask for things and God doesn't give them to us and that's because it's not what's best for us or it's not the right timing. But God is generous in giving us the things that we truly need. He is a generous God. So many times we focus on the physical possessions, and we forget the many other gifts in our lives that are perhaps equally or more important. The gifts of family and friends, of a job, of of health, of our church family, of freedom, a roof over our heads, and food to eat. We have so many good gifts, and it's easy to take them for granted. So we should take the time to write these down, to share them with others, to tell the stories of God's faithfulness. He is a generous God. And there's more. It tells us that God is good. God is good. By the way, if any of you are note takers, I have eight points this morning. I didn't tell you that up front, but it's, uh, you know, there's a lot there. God is good. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. When we talk about God's goodness, we mean that God always does what is right. He does what is just. He does what is righteous. What is What is best? For us and the fact that god is good and righteous can't be glossed over because it's a crucial aspect of his character you all have heard me talk about this before the idea of of a god who is all-powerful and ever-present but yet is not good is absolutely terrifying we've seen it in human history people who who have not absolute power and control but people who have a lot of power but who use it for evil And yet, God's word tells us, and we see throughout human history, and we see in our own lives that God is not only all-powerful, but he can be trusted because he always does what is right. Because he is good. That's the powerful combination. An all-powerful ruler that we can submit ourselves to. We can surrender all. Right? That's why we have a hard time surrendering, isn't it? Because we don't fully trust that God's plan is best. We think that God's holding out us. We think somehow doing things the way that we want to live and serving the kingdom of self is actually going to bring us more joy and satisfaction. In moments, we convince ourselves of that, and that's why we don't surrender all. And yeah, because we're human, right? We can surrender all because God is good. We can trust that His plan is right. We've alluded to this already, but God is faithful. Verse 7, he's made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. This reference to to, uh, Moses would have reminded the Israelite worshippers of one of the greatest acts of God's redemption, the great exodus, his rescue of, of, of Israel from slavery in Egypt and deliverance to the promised land. This is perhaps the biggest example of the gospel in the Old Testament. It's one of the most referenced events in all of the Old Testament because it dramatically represents God's loving faithfulness to his people. And then it says, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love, there's that word love again, is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. The faithfulness of God down through the ages, generation to generation. Verse 18, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. This is an important verse because if we talk about this idea of living worship centers lives, we, again, we need to remember that worship is, is not just an experience. It's not just showing up, but worship really, at the end of the day, is responding to God and who he is, which involves obedience. But those who keep his commands, a heart that expresses itself, through joyful and God-honoring obedience to God. Don't be merely listeners of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? Jesus said, don't just hear the word, put it into practice. It's part of living a worship-centered life. Is responding to a God of faithfulness, as he has been faithful to us, we want to be faithful to him. And we can only do that by his grace. We can't do it on our own strength. We do it by surrendering to the rhythms of His grace. God is faithful. There's more. God is patient. God is patient. It says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. How many of you are just grateful that God is patient with you? I am. Right? We just need to be reminded every now and then that God is not done with you yet. He's not done with you. Are you frustrated with yourself? You should be. God's not done with you yet. You're far from perfect. But keep pursuing him. Keep surrendering to him. He is patient. He is kind. He is gracious. Now his patience won't last forever. He does call us to surrender our lives. He does call us to recognize his authority. But for now, for now, he's patient. You ever wonder sometimes? God, why don't you just come and wrap this whole thing up? That'd be great. You ever have days like that where you're like, okay, I'm done, had enough of this? Like, let's just do heaven, whatever that is. It sounds great. And, you know, the truth is, it's all part of God's enduring patience. It's not the time yet. But the day is coming. So we don't want to presume upon God's patience forever, but we want to be grateful for his patience. Next is God is... Is loving, or He is for us. It says, "So great is His love for those who fear Him." As far as the east is from the west, so has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. God, God is for us. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that? Sometimes that's hard to believe when you are experiencing suffering and trials in life. Sometimes you begin to question that. But the story of Scripture and the story of our lives is that God is for us. Verses 11 and 12, it uses the parallelisms of of height and, and, and width, right? As far as the east is from the west, Scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. As we move toward the end of the psalm, we see that God is eternal. Verse 14, God is eternal. Since he knows how we were formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. But the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This section kind of compares the temporal nature of, of human life on planet earth, right? We're like grass. We're here that sprouts up quickly and then it's gone, right? It's borrowing an image, from the, perhaps, from the book of, of, of Isaiah. Well, no, wrong time period. That, the Isaiah takes it from here. Here we go. Our lives on earth are short. They're fleeting like a flower of the field. And yet, these short lives that we live, when connected up with the eternal purposes of God, our temporary time here on earth can matter deeply. That's the kind of irony of it. Our lives are short and yet they're still important. And then the psalm concludes by explaining that the scope of this resolution to worship God encompasses the entire universe, not just people, but all of heaven and earth. The angels are commanded to worship the Lord God, the king of the universe. There's a cosmic scope to this whole thing that encompasses everything. The Lord God, he is king of the universe. He alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is fit to sit on the throne and rule our lives. This psalm tells us much about who God is. It's a great psalm to, to meditate on, and yet it only begins to scratch the surface. Because there are so many attributes of who God is. And if I could encourage you this year to do one thing, it would be to know God better. Simple thing. But yet there are so many things in our lives pulling us away from that center, which is found in God, would this be a year when we commit to live a worship-centered life, knowing that that so many of these other things will flow out of that when he is at the center? We're going to spend time this year reading through God's Word. As you read through, there, there are so many different kinds of literature. There are so many ways that you can get lost in the text. Keep coming back to this question. Who is God? What is this? piece of scripture tell me about who God is. I think that we'll find that every page, there's something that is revealed about the nature of God. And that as we come to know who God is, then we will come to find who we truly are. Again, it's the opposite, right? Christianity begins with surrender. It also begins with, with getting to know who God is. That is actually the project of how we find ourselves. And it's the opposite of the way that the world and everything around us tells us to find our true selves. We find our true selves in God. And in that relationship, he reveals to us who we truly are. This is a resolution worth making as we begin our year. The resolution to know God better as we look at his word. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you that you are a good and loving and faithful and redeeming and merciful God. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we pray that we would come to know you better in the days ahead. God, And that we would live this new year out of the fuel of your grace. God, reveal yourself to us, and may that change us and shape us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. God, would your glory and your love fill us so full that it overflows into the lives of others. Help us to live worship-centered lives. For your glory and will also be for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.